Welcome back to another episode of the Fab Lab Podcast, but not just any episode. It is the first episode of 2023, episode 158 here. Your host, Aaron Crowley, so glad to be tuning in with you, fellow fabricator, stone shop owners from across the fruited plain, ladies and gentlemen. Well, it's hard. So now what? I ended last year with a, an episode, a little bit of a venting session, a ranting and a raving, talking about some things that just are hard about the business. And I want to begin this year with a response. So, you know, okay, it's hard. Vent, gripe, complain, gnash your teeth. <laughs> if there's nothing productive or progressive or constructive that is done in response, then it was time wasted. And so in this episode, I want to talk about three specific tactics, three specific actions that can be taken to mitigate, to minimize, to, I'm not going to say it's going to make anything easier because that would be kind of absurd. I'd be like false advertising. There's nothing easy about the stone business, nothing easy. But there's some things that we can do that make it less hard and actually translate into more peace of mind, more life outside the business, more just order within the business, and quite frankly, higher profits as a result. And so I don't think anybody is going to just wave a magic wand and solve some of these underlying defects and deficiencies in terms of the way the industry is established and the way it works. It, it is what it is. The question is, is what are we willing to do to overcome it? And so in this episode, we're going to talk about the value of having a segment of our businesses oriented around the direct-to-consumer or retail, basically doing business directly with the homeowner, the end user, the person who actually writes the check and uses the granite quartz countertops in their kitchen. Number two, we're going to talk about standards, processes, and the daily ops meeting. And number three, we're going to talk about our relationships with our suppliers. And out of that, meat and potatoes, this is just constructive work, and it is work, constructive work to bring back to the shop to help to overcome some of the challenges, help to mitigate some of the things that are just inherently difficult in our industry that will hopefully result in a better business that's more profitable and allows you more latitude to do the things that are important to you in this life, fellow fabricator. And so we're going to get into that. Before we do, I want to mention a word from our sponsor, No Lift Install System. You want to talk about hard. It is my belief that one of the hardest jobs in the business is installing. I mean, when you think about the fact that an installer or an install crew has to drive, they've got access that's oftentimes unpredictable, not pleasant very often, not easy to get the countertops into the work area. They get the countertops onto the cabinets eventually. Then they got a customer looking over their shoulder, breathing down their neck, complaining. You got, you know, something to get to that night as an installer, and yet the job's not going well, or you got delayed from the previous job. So now it's cutting into the, you know, family time in the evening. You got to stay late. You can't leave. Tomorrow's got another job or two. Can't afford to come back tomorrow. It's got to get done. And so it's just a hard job. What can we as stone shop owners do to make that job easier? Number one, for the installers and make the department more profitable. Well, I would like to recommend that you consider a no-lift install system. Reduce some of the wear and tear, first and foremost, enabling your installers to retain some of their physical energy so that by the time they get the countertops onto the cabinets, they have more mental capacity in addition to the physical capacity to do all of not just the work, but the thinking that is required. 
adjusting pieces, adjusting overhangs, laying out cooktops, laying out faucets, dealing with a difficult customer. You know, you have to get an installer who's hurting and wore out and stressed, and then you get some gripey Karen who's breathing down his neck about something that's not even his fault to begin with. Maybe the faucet oil's recording the wrong spot by the measure-up technician's layout or the shop misinterpreted something. Installer's the one who bears the brunt of that, uh, the ire of that customer. You know, his ability to respond in a professional manner is absolutely affected by his state, his state of mind, and his physical state. So by investing in a no-lift, you massively reduce the wear and tear that what is required physically of him. In addition to that, you are reducing what is required mentally, especially if he's got maybe a newer helper out there on the job site, you know, fragile material. Having the no-lift install system, utilizing the counter handler system for keeping those fragile countertops intact during transport and installation massively reduces the stress physically and mentally on your installers. And at the end of the day, that translates back to you for higher profits. You get those jobs done quicker. You're not having to send shop guys to the field to help get those heavy and awkward countertops into the work area. You're not breaking as many countertops. You're not creating stress back on your shop. Getting a no-lift install system will make your business better. It will make your life as an owner easier, and it will massively improve the quality of life for your installer. So visit no-lift system today. Now let's get into these three points. Direct-to-consumer work, standards, processes, and your daily ops meeting, and the relationship you have with your supplier. So talking about direct-to-consumer, a lot of what I talked about in the last episode was really oriented around what I consider to be collusion, slab suppliers, quartz manufacturers go to the retailer, the flooring store, or the big box store, and they determine in advance what materials are going to be shown to the consumer. And then they're sold with no feedback, with no input from the fabricator. Retail price is established on the back end. On the front end, the material cost is established for the fabricator, and the fabricator's stuck in the middle. Oftentimes, in addition to that, there's a massive gap in education. And so the consumer is uneducated and has unrealistic expectations. Well, if you are solely dependent upon that kind of work, two things are at play. Number one, your margins are just simply lower. Your ability to negotiate is reduced. And your, your ability to, to present a value proposition and educate the customer is also reduced. So that is why having a segment of your business direct to consumer where you control the pricing, you control the type of material, you're able to affect the cost of the material that you're buying and presenting to the customer, you're able to educate the consumer, you're able to demonstrate certain things that are of great value to that retail homeowner that they may be willing to pay more for. You control the conversation, you control the entire project. And I'm here to tell you, my business specialized in what we called countertop replacement. The vast majority of our business was direct-to-consumer work where we controlled the sales process, we controlled the education process, we controlled what material they saw, <laughs> and we established the price, and we were able to command a much higher retail price. We competed against Home Depot every day. We competed against those hack flooring stores every day, and we routinely commanded a 10 or 15 or in some cases even a 20% premium because they didn't know how to educate the customer. All they knew how to do was take a price based on a square foot multiplier, hand it to the customer and say, here's your material on this rack. Here's your pricing. What do you think? 
oh, that's great. Until they talked to somebody who actually knew what they were talking about, i.e. the fabricator, and they realized, wow, there's a lot more to fabricating. There's a lot more to installing. There's a lot more to material selection than they may have realized. And we found, we built a business on it. Retail homeowners are willing to pay more for the things that they value. And so when you have some percentage of your business oriented around accommodating the retail home or the direct-to-the-consumer channel, it benefits your business in a lot of ways. Number one, it reduces your reliance and the requirement that you do broker work where you're doing it at a severe discount when your cost is established before you even start in terms of the material. Number two, you get to build the value. You get to highlight what makes your company unique for that consumer and allows you to charge accordingly. In addition to that, it allows you to upsell. When you have the contract with the homeowner and you're in there and you're already doing a template for the kitchen, what about those vanities? What about a waterfall panel? What about a different backsplash? What about all the high margin? I've, I've done entire episodes on this topic of high margin upsells. That is that is work that goes directly to the bottom line, where they're not comparing it. They are they're not taking those up sales and comparing them to another quote. They've already signed a contract to do work for you, so you have this amazing opportunity to add revenue at a very low cost to the business. And so that is a tremendous advantage. The degree to which you develop and focus on and establish and perhaps grow your direct to consumer segment of your business, it's higher margin and there's greater control. Lower pricing on the front end, it just has a lot of advantage. It has its challenges too. You've got to find the leads for that. You've got to quote them. You've got to take the time to actually educate the customer and show them why they should pay more for you. But okay, I'd like to. I'd, I'd prefer to be in control of my destiny than turning that over to some associate who doesn't know a friggin' quartzite counter from a quartz counter from a piece of vinyl flooring you know, who's trying to sell a countertop to that customer, I would much rather be the one to have that conversation and control that conversation to our advantage. So that's number one. Number two, standards, processes, and your daily operations meeting. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, we talked about the fact that there is a massive lack of standardization in the industry. It's the Wild West. So everybody kind of gets to work to their own level. And the consumer is oftentimes not aware of how wide that variation could be in terms of the finished product, in terms of the quality, and in terms of their experience. And so this gives the professional fabricator the opportunity to begin developing standards themselves. Okay, if the industry won't set the standards, I'll set some standards. Number one, I'll set standards for the customer so that they know what to expect, and that's what we will work to. So my company actually has a target. My employees actually have a target. My processes are oriented around producing a result that is measured by measurable standards. And then I can have standards within the business, which is how the business operates, the way that we do things. It isn't dependent upon the customer. It isn't dependent upon anybody's opinion. It is dependent upon the standards that we establish, and we work the business back from there. And so by having standards... You can begin to bring order to your business where when there's a lack of standardizations, there's a lot more chaos. Everybody's working to some vague or ambiguous level. And until you begin to establish standards that your company is going to work for, your business is just less orderly. And when a business is less orderly, and we could go from one end of the spectrum to the other, 
let's just talk about internal standards. Standards for material. How do we inspect material? How do we QC counters once they're finished? How do we stage them for install? Those are all internal standards that make your business better. Once you begin to develop those, identify them, and work towards them, the business calms down. The business becomes more of a system as opposed to a uh, a, 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 a custom manufacturing company. It becomes more of a manufacturing company that is at least following the same pattern over and over and gaining efficiencies there. And so those standards work tremendously well internally. And we're going to get into the process aspect of that next because it is the processes that people follow that produce the results that are measured in measurable standards. And so externally, though, as well, you can begin to set standards for the quality of material that you will work with. You can set standards for the suppliers that you will work with. Tell I'm not going to name any names here because I have relationships outside of this podcast and relationships outside of no lift install system and relationships outside of fabricators friend that I have to at least keep in mind. But on numerous occasions, we fired large quartz brands through the samples into the garbage, into the dumpster. We have fired suppliers on multiple occasions because of the fact they didn't meet the standard. If you can't deliver product to us in a timely fashion, if you won't take back material that is deemed by us to be defective or substandard, if you're not going to take care of my customers when they show up there to view slabs, we have standards that we run our business around. We're making promises to the customer, and as such, the partners that we have have got to meet the same standard that we have. And so you can have outward-facing standards for your supplier. Same thing is true for your tooling. Same thing is true for your consumables. And the same thing is true for your customers. If you've got contractors, here's, here's a huge opportunity to gain control. Contractors can be the worst. Some of them are the worst. Others are the best. But what happens when you show up for template and the cabinets aren't there? Wow. What happens when you get to the point where you show up and the cabinets are there, but they still haven't selected their material yet? Or the faucets aren't on site, or the sink hasn't been picked, or the stove is back-ordered, or they're still trying to determine what the overhang is. Standards are absolutely crucial for you to run a professional business, the companies that you do work for and the customers you do work for. They've got to know that there are some expectations for them, and expectations are measured by standards, standards that are measurable, established, able to be communicated in advance so that they can meet them and be ready. At a certain point, if you're going to continue to disrupt my schedule and waste my time, you're not keeping the standard. And I can remember a couple of instances where we had to go back, in some cases, fire customers. We just finally said, as much as we like the work, the disruption and the chaos that occurs because you cannot, after job after job, you cannot bring yourself to meet a minimum level of standardization of what we need to make the job that you want us to make in the time that you're asking us. We cannot have a professional working relationship because you will not follow basic standards. We fired contractors. Other contractors, we just agreed to disagree. We just had to agree. We're not a good fit. Nothing personal. You don't want to manage your schedule. You don't want to manage your remodeling business. Great. We, we, we have other customers that we have to take care of, and you're just too disruptive. So we're going to move on. Best case scenario, though, 
is the contractor recognizes the value that you bring because you have standards and they go, wow, actually I would be better served by being ready for the countertop company when they show up to template, when they show up to install. More often than not, the vast, 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 vast majority of the time, having those standards actually improve things because we communicated the expectations they got their business in line. They started actually adapting to us, and they can adapt to you so that they're ready, fellow fabricator. And all of a sudden, those jobs get easier. Instead of being really hard, being really frustrating, being a lot of extra work when you didn't bid that extra cost into the job, it gets smoother and smoother. It's like a hand in a glove. That's the ideal. But the contractor doesn't know what you need. You have to establish the standards for that working relationship. And if you communicate them effectively and respectfully over time, those relationships become really, really durable. And we're going to talk about that as it relates to suppliers as well. But you can establish these deep, deep, deep partnerships with companies who see the value in doing business with you. Price becomes less of an issue. Price becomes a lot less important because when they're following your standards, their job goes smoother. There are less hiccups. There are less problems with the countertops. There are less delays at the tail end of their project when they're hoping to keep their customer happy and get paid. So standards for your customers are really important. Now, let's talk. we've talked about standards. Let's talk about processes. I'm only going to talk about this briefly. What I am going to recommend, if you haven't downloaded the three free chapters of my book, Less Chaos, More Cash. I wrote that book specifically for fabricators to learn how to, to practically develop processes within a business so that you can achieve order, so that you can repeatedly succeed, repeatedly keep the promise, repeatedly get the result that you need and want in the micro level, you know, in the weeds inside your business, and at the macro level in terms of the overall result of getting jobs done and getting paid and turning a profit and having a business that runs in an orderly fashion even when you're not there. So you can download the first three chapters of my book, Less Chaos, More Cash, at AaronCrowley.com. I'll even put a link in the show notes. So processes, you got to have, if you're going to achieve consistent standards, there have to be written procedures, processes. The way that you do whatever it is that you do, fellow fabricator, has got to be determined, it's got to be established, it's got to be written down so it can be followed and repeated. And the more people follow and repeat those processes, the more second nature it becomes, the less they need the process, and the more the more it becomes habit, and the less difficult, I'm not, I almost said it's easy, the less difficult the work becomes because there is that rhythm that's established through those processes. So processes are huge. Now this is the gold here. Fellow fabricator, when you are talking about developing a business that doesn't forget sinks on site, doesn't forget faucets in the shop, doesn't forget to put the backsplash with the job, doesn't lose the paperwork out in the shop when the installers are looking for the backsplash, not realizing that they're missing a piece before they leave for a job site that's an hour and a half away, hopefully with a no lift, it'll at least make that a little bit easier, but when nobody has time to drive that backsplash that got overlooked because of paperwork, I don't care what the process is. Processes cannot screen and catch and, and, and make it perfect. They're going to they're gonna do 95% of the important work. You can iron the wrinkles out of your business by developing processes. But there is still tremendous value in having a feedback loop, in having a communication opportunity so that the three key departments in your business have the opportunity to share feedback, incorporate that in, and fine-tune those systems or catch the little things that are hugely costly to your business 
Your installers drive an hour and a half away to a job site and the sink isn't there and the next day they got two jobs to go to. Somebody has to go drive that sink to the job site and it's usually on a day when nobody has time. But let's just say somebody has time. That's still, you are incurring a cost that is making your job more difficult and less profitable. So having a daily ops meeting, having a feedback loop where your key operating departments have the opportunity to share feedback will radically transform and reduce the number of those oversights, mistakes, remakes. I did an episode on that or a couple of them. So when your installers can come back and share feedback and say, hey, yesterday we couldn't find the paperwork. And because we couldn't find the paperwork, we didn't realize that there was a piece of backsplash missing. All we had was the cart with the counters and the splash. Since we No one could find the paperwork. We figured we had everything we needed and we took off for the job site or the paperwork was there, but it didn't It didn't indicate that the sink was at the shop. The, the paperwork indicated that the sink was on site, and so we got to the job site, and lo and behold, or you can realize that the installers didn't read the paperwork, <laughs> and you can say you need to read the paperwork better next time. That feedback loop, when you have issues, they can be discussed between template, production, and install. Installers bring the feedback that is a reflection of how well the job was templated, how well the paperwork served the purpose of the business and the installers, and how well it was produced. So when you have that in a package, if you will, you have your standards that are established, the outcomes that you want, you have your processes that lend themselves to those outcomes, and then you have a daily ops meeting to review, to evaluate how well the processes and the standards are working. Hey, that contractor, we showed up to install yesterday, No one was there to let us in. Wow, well, the sales guy, that's good feedback. The sales guy needs to report back to the customer. Your superintendent was on site to let us in to do the work. It delayed us by an hour. We do not bid into our jobs an extra hour of sitting in your driveway, which delayed us the next job, which put my guys in traffic at 6 o'clock on a Friday night. That cannot happen again. Having that ops meeting, having that feedback loop allows you to fine-tune those standards and the process and provide the necessary. Nobody's perfect. So by having that opportunity every day for installers to come back and bring back feedback, how to go with the customer, how was the job templated, you know what? We put the templates up there and something changed. Wow. Was it that the countertops were fabbed wrong or was it that the contractor changed something? You really need to be able to evaluate that as you develop those relationships, as you establish those standards in the interest of making this job less hard, <laughs> not easy, less hard. Having that daily ops meeting provides feedback to the people who can actually make the adjustments that the next time around reduces the likelihood that you have to contend with that expense with that delay, with that frustration, or with that difficulty that otherwise would make running the business even harder than it already is. So your standards, your processes, and your daily ops meeting, that feedback loop for your installers to bring back feedback to production and to measuring, and in some cases sales if the customer needs to be uh, reminded of a standard. So let's talk about the relationship that you have with your suppliers. Now, really, some of the things that I mentioned in the last episode, nothing's going to change. Small to mid-sized fabricators have no leverage over international companies who do not know they exist, who have policies in place necessarily because the business is so big, they have to have policies that are pushed downstream that negatively affect small fabricators. It's just it's, it's something that you have to deal with. There is just no way 
around that. But there are some things that we can do as it relates to dealing with our suppliers. We can purposefully, and I guess I got kind of off, off track there. What I'm saying here, some of the things that I mentioned in the episode the last time, we're not going to be able to change in and of themselves. It's waiting for those things to change. Our businesses will suffer too much pain, too much cost, too much expense in the meantime. So what we have to do is take it upon ourselves and change the things that we can change, fix the things that we can fix, overcome the things that we can overcome so that the things that we can't fix, you know what, they just... I can tolerate those a little bit better because I know I've overcome some other challenges in the business. So now let's talk about relationships with our suppliers. Some suppliers you're not going to be able to move. You're not going to be able to influence. You're not going to be able to essentially strong arm to your advantage. They're just simply too big and their policies are are too strict. But there is still massive opportunity for fabricators to develop really tight personal key relationships with suppliers in your market so that when the chips are down you know sometimes you just i just need one break (laughs) i just need something to go good today there were some suppliers when they would deliver crap material to us they'd be like well sorry our truck's down it's going to be a week before we can deliver the replacement slabs but my cut i need to have that job installed in less than a week That was how some of our suppliers did business with us. And you know what? We didn't send our customers to them, at least intentionally. We had other suppliers where the same exact circumstance happened. The result was the exact opposite. Oh my gosh, we are so sorry. Don't worry about it. We'll figure out what happened. We'll put some slabs on the truck right now and we'll bring them to your shop before the end of the day. You can develop relationships with key suppliers in your market so that when the chips are down, they will come through because they not only value the business, they value the relationship. Now, I know that's getting harder and harder as more and more of these regional and even local slab suppliers, you know, in a sense, are acquired by the the big, big, big companies. It used to be there was a time in Portland there were no large, they were all independently owned slab suppliers in Portland. And we had personal relationships with all of them. And that's changing. So as that changes, you know, you got, you got to deal with that. And I will tell one story about one company in particular, though, that, that proves my point here both ways. But you, you got to just keep in mind, there is opportunity when it comes to material quality, when it comes to material delivering, when it comes to service post-install dealing with defects, dealing with faulty material, the quality of your relationship with your key strategic slab supplier partners can mean the difference between a disaster for your customer and financial disaster for the job, depending on how it goes. And so, fellow fabricator, I'm just going to mention a couple of things about just things to keep in mind as you evaluate the suppliers that you do business with. Number one, are there either owners managers or sales reps who you have a natural affinity for who you can just develop and expand and improve the relationship that you have with them personal relationships are unbelievably powerful and in some cases they can actually trump policy we had a job with a very large international manufacturer of slabs it was an innovative highly compact product (laughs) The job did not go well for a variety of reasons, mainly because the material was sold as being, 
you know, perfectly color matched and it wasn't. And the customer rejected the job. And we went back and we're like, what are we supposed to do with this? This brand new product online. Policy-wise, the salespeople, their hands were tied. They could not give us a break. They couldn't give us compensation. And yet, because of the durability that we had in terms of the relationship with this team at this local shop of this international company, they still figured out a way to make it right for us. It was a little unconventional. It was a little hard to account for in the books, but we were made whole on what would otherwise been an absolute financial disaster for us. Now, those are kind of the anomalies. It is far more likely that you can develop those personal relationships with the owner if they're local, if the managers you know have been around a long time. But you just... You got to pursue that. You got to strategically and purposefully think through the value of, of, of maintaining personal relationships. Now, here's some things to think about that. Some companies are so short-sighted that they, instead of developing a relationship, they do the same thing to the suppliers that the retailers do to them. They grind, they exaggerate, they manipulate their suppliers they take advantage of the goodwill of the good suppliers and then end up losing in the long run. And so there is a time and place to be competitive. There is a time and place to go to one of your suppliers and go, hey, I'm going to lose this job if I don't get a better deal on this material. Is there anything you can do? Just like you, fellow fabricator, you can do that occasionally. But if you've got a customer who is grinding you on every job where they literally don't value the relationship at all, all they value is the transaction, how... And from a long-term standpoint, how likely are you to take care of them when they make a mistake, when the chips are down for them, when they have done nothing but take advantage of you, and then they find out that they didn't schedule something right, they find out that they ordered the wrong material, when they find out that the customer's really after whatever it is. Just on human terms, at the human level, how likely are you, <laughs> when you have been ground to powder or you know silica dust, when you have just been ground over and over and over, when they need a favor, you're just a lot less likely to grant them one. And the reverse is true in terms of how we deal with our suppliers. If you've got a strategic partnership, you can only take that so far before you take it too far. And you lose the ability to be able to rely on that supplier when the chips are down. So you just you need to think strategically. You need to think personally, developing personal relationships. You don't have to be best friends. You don't have to go, you know, party with them on the weekends or invite them to Christmas or your birthday, but just respecting those people as professionals, as pe- respecting them as people, and just developing, working to develop relationships that go beyond the transaction. Those kind of relationships eventually are built on trust. And when you have the trust, when you trust your supplier, it gives you an enormous advantage to be able to do business, to overcome challenges because you don't have that added burden of going, I got to fight with the customer, I got to fight with the contractor, and I got to fight with my supplier. When you have durable, strategic, and personal relationships with your suppliers or the people there, you don't really have a relationship with the supply company, it's with the people there, obviously. Wow, you've got trust. And likewise, If they can trust you, they find themselves in the same situation as well. Who can they trust? Who can they send a customer to without the prospect of being embarrassed or shamed in the marketplace by sending them to somebody who's not going to take care of them? 
that it definitely cuts both ways. And so one of the ways that we can overcome some of just inherent, built-in, baked-in flaws in material distribution is by developing personal relationships with your suppliers, developing goodwill. Be depositing goodwill into that account as you do business with the suppliers, paying them on time, not grinding them down all the time. But when you really need it, you can go and ask, and they're more likely to grant that to you in, in as, because they trust you. When you come to them, you know, after the fifty seventh time and saying, "Hey, I'm, um, uh, I found this cheaper somewhere else," they're like, "No, you didn't. Now you're just lying to my face to try and get a better deal, and 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 you're you're clowning yourself." If you do business like that, it's very hard to build relationships built on trust because it's not trustworthy. And so, fellow fabricator, this business is hard. It's really hard. I believe it is one of the hardest businesses to build a a, a predictably profitable and sustainable business in, and it requires an enormous amount of hard work beyond your average business. But for the companies that develop the direct-to-consumer segment of their business, their margins are higher, expectations are better, and the opportunity to upsell is just huge. For the companies that understand the need to have standards, not just for themselves, but standards for the performance of their customers and suppliers, again, you're building order, you're building repetitiveness, you're building rhythms into your business that make it more profitable every day simply because it gets it gets easier and easier. The routine is established and repeated, and it gets easier as time goes on. You develop processes within your business. So what it is that you do to keep the promise is known to everybody in the business. And if you will establish a daily ops meeting where that feedback can be circulated amongst the people that have the ability to, to make it better the next time, wow, wow. Huge, 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 huge leverage that you have to overcome the inherent difficulties in this business. And lastly, I just spent, I don't know how much time talking about developing those supplier relations. Develop those relationships, fellow fabricator. I'm sure you already are, but there's still probably room to improve it. Develop relationships with multiple suppliers built on trust, built on that mutual respect, built on that mutual benefit that you both get by doing business in an above-board manner. So, fellow fabricators, so glad that you tuned in here for the first episode of 2023. I cannot believe <laughs> it's a new year, but it is. I'm so glad you tuned in for this episode. Make sure you tune in next week as well. And until then, happy fabricating.